Well, thank you for being here in our Simply Christmas series. My name is Eric, and it is a delight to be with you. Y'all could be so many other places today, and uh, thank you for being here and watching online. So can you believe, y'all, we are within two weeks of Christmas? Some of you are like, oh, yes. Some of you are like, oh, no, (laughs) we're not ready yet. I can't believe it, but uh, Amazon is your friend, just saying. Just saying. So uh, the question that I want to start with uh, in our time together is this question right here. What kinds of people does God choose to use? What kinds of people does God choose to use? I've been kind of thinking about this question all week. What are the kinds of people that God chooses to use? And I think if you and I were having a cup of coffee by ourselves and we were talking about this, you know, it'd be interesting the kind of answers we would come up with that you would think. Um, you know, if it's being good and making straight A's, uh, I know I wouldn't be here on this stage and I don't know where you would be either. Uh, some of us in this room are rule followers and you're proud of it. Uh, others of us, we just didn't take that route where we learned the hard way, right? Um, others of us, you know, does, does God only use the people with a theological education? I remember growing up, uh, when I was a teenager, I didn't, I didn't really know what pastors did. And I felt like if you were a pastor and had a theological e- education, you were out of touch with reality. And so I was like, I don't want to do that because those dudes are weird. And so that doesn't sound like something that I want to do. And so, it, it, you know, God looks for other people besides people that just have a theological education. It's wonderful, but just there's other things involved. Does God only use us if we've never broken the law? <laughs> right? You've never been arrested, so God can use you. Uh, if, if that were the case, uh, do you guys know that Moses, David, nor the Apostle Paul could pass our background check here at the Summit Church? They couldn't serve. They show up at the door, sorry guys, I know you built the thing, but can't go near our children's ministry. Uh, that wouldn't be good for us. Uh, so uh, anyway, but who are the kinds of people that God chooses to use? You know, sometimes we take ourselves out of the equation because we think there's some really spiritual gifted kinds of people that God really looks for. And here's what I think we struggle with personally. We struggle with what I call the spiritual imposter syndrome. Now, if you know what the imposter syndrome is, uh, I work with uh, business people in a different domain of my life. And the imposter syndrome is something that a lot of people in the marketplace struggle with. And it essentially means I'm afraid that somebody's going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing at my job. (laughs) That's what I feel like I'm an imposter. That's what the imposter syndrome is. We've all felt that way. I have no idea what I'm doing, and I'm afraid somebody else is going to find out I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, But the spiritual imposter syndrome is, can God really use me? We underestimate what God does through us, and we overestimate what God does through others. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at yourself and gone, who am I? to do anything significant for God. I don't have a resume. I don't have the pedigree. My family didn't come from those, that type of environment. Who am I? I look at other people who are used of God and I'm not like them. And if that's the category of godliness and what it means for God, I don't, that's not me. And so if that's not me, does that mean that I'm valuable and that God can use me? Well, here's what I know. We underestimate what God does through us and we overestimate what God does through others. So as we're dealing with the spiritual imposter syndrome, the other thing that we deal with is what I call when and then thinking. 
when and then thinking, well, when I know the Bible more, then I'll serve God. I wrote some, of the, some others down. When I feel more spiritual and less sinful, then God can use me. When I know my gift, then God can use me. Well, we don't understand that we discover our gift in the process of God using us and putting ourselves out there and learning, you know, what we're gifted at, right? When I no longer feel afraid, then God can use me. And I just want to say, if that's what you're waiting for, you'll wait forever because we're just a bunch of chickens, all of us, right? In some realm of our life. And if we wait till all the fear is gone, we will never take a step. We're all afraid. We're all afraid. So we just got to take a step regardless of that. When I have more money, when I have more time than God can use me, when I'm in better shape than God can use me, when I have more meta followers, right? Aren't we all grateful for the meta, right? Meta followers, Facebook and Insta, thank you for changing our life there. When my friends and family and children approve, then I will. In other words, whose approval are you waiting for to take a step in your life toward God or to something that God wants you to do? Did you know that that person's approval that you're hoping to get has somebody else in mind of approval that they want? So let's go a little bit easy on ourselves and recognize we're all broken. And we're, if we're waiting on the approval of others, we might be waiting a very long time. We need the courage to step out and do that ourselves. And my favorite uh, uh, when and then is this. When the Panthers start winning again, then I'll serve God. And it might literally take a miracle for that to happen. We might be waiting around a long time. And here's my point. We are confused as to whom God can use. We're confused as to whom God can use. We think, well, God, you only want to use the rich, the smart, the powerful. CEOs, people with big platforms, people that write all these books, these athletes, these actors and actresses that have a lot of fame and that are important to our culture. God, those are really the people that you should be using because man, God, if you could use them, I mean, they would have such a platform and an audience and they could have so much influence over all these other people. And this is how we think because this is the world's value system that you live in. We live in a value system that says, if you're super smart, if you're super powerful and you're super wealthy, you matter. And if you're not, you don't or at least you don't matter as much. That's the value system that we live in. God says, thank goodness, that's not the value system he uses to use people. Check this out. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, Paul's writing this to the church at Corinth, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Few of you were that way. <clears throat> Instead, Notice how God strategically does this. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. Interesting. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those that are powerful. This reminds me of the Christmas story. God used a bunch of powerless people to shame those who were powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. He essentially said, ha, 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 I'm turning the world's value system on its ear, because that's not how I work, to finally bring us home and says, as a result, 
the fact that God uses all of us, these, these cracked pots, right? As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Nobody could ever say, God, I did you a favor. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Nope. God says, you know what? I use the broken to shame the rest of the world. And this brings us to what I think is the point of this entire message, is that God uses simple people to do spectacular things. God uses simple people to do spectacular things, not simple in terms of a, like a derogatory, negative, like naive kind of, a, kind of people, but humble people. God uses simple people to do spectacular things so that he gets the glory and we don't become narcissists and think we did it all, of our, all ourselves, right? So, which leads us to the Christmas story. Now, if you were God and you could think of any way to bring about the best news in the entire world to planet Earth, what would you do? What would you do? I mean, think about your business. When you, when you um, think of a new product that you want to roll out to your customers, there's typically a process. There's a social media, you know, ad that's going out. There's, you know, you're going to involve your employees and your best customers first, and then you're going to go out to the fringes, and you're going to have this marketing strategy where it's all going to make sense to you. Start, start small and then go out. I mean, you're really going to put some thought into that. But if you were God and you were bringing the best news to the world, how would you do this? Interesting, he used the most powerless people in the world to bring about his message. Check this out. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. And I want to stop right here just for a second. Elizabeth is married to a guy named Zachariah. Zachariah is a priest in the temple, and he works every day in the temple. And Zachariah and Elizabeth are old in age. And they've been praying for a baby, praying for a baby, praying for a baby, no baby, praying for a baby, no baby, praying for a baby, no baby. And now they're old and they're upset and they're hurt and they feel like God has forgotten them. And so the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah in the temple. He says, guess what? The Lord has heard your prayer. You and Elizabeth are going to have a baby the natural way, which I'm sure Zechariah is like, really? Like, really? Like, that's going to happen? And so you and, you, you and Elizabeth are going to have a baby the natural way because God has remembered you. And what's so cool about that is people that I know that I'm good friends with that are getting older in life, they tell me, they say, Eric, I often feel invisible because I've gotten older and we live in a young culture. And I feel invisible sometimes to the people that matter to me in my life. And here's what I love about this little small part of this story is that they were not invisible to God. They weren't, and you're not either, regardless of where you're at in life. So Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. And so um, after Elizabeth finds out that she's pregnant, she's pregnant, by the way, with a son named John. We know him as John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one that was the front runner to Jesus. He was the one that was going to share to everybody, you know, hey, this is the Messiah. He was going to announce the coming of Jesus. 
So Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. John and Jesus are second cousins. So he sends the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. <clears throat> now, if you're like me, I'm kind of a map nerd. Like wherever I go, my wife and I are going to France in January. We're so excited about this. And there's some places that I've already found for us to go. And I'm looking at like street views outside our hotel and what's out there. Is there restaurants or this, that, the other, you know, and I'm just, you know, I, I love to make sure wherever I'm going to be, I want to be able to like see uh, all around it, right? So if you're like me, uh, let's go to a map of Israel. And this is in the time of Jesus. So Israel was broken up into three different sections, Galilee, Samaria, Judea in the south. Galilee in the north, Samaria in the middle, Judea in the south. Jesus spent most of his ministry in Galilee around this area up here. And this is known as the Sea of Galilee. Maybe you've heard of that in, uh, as you've read the scriptures before. This little river right here is called the Jordan River uh, where Jesus was baptized in. This is called the Dead Sea. I've had friends that have traveled over to the Middle East. They say if you go out and swim in the Dead Sea, there's so much salt in it, you float on top of the water. They've had pictures, hey, this is me on the Dead Sea. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, <clears throat> so up here, this is Nazareth. It's right up here in the Galilee region. Uh, this is Jerusalem where, where Jesus was crucified, died, rose again. But again, Jesus spent most of his ministry up here. And this is Nazareth where, where Mary uh, and Elizabeth were. So Mary is there. And so the, Gabriel, so the angel Gabriel says this to her. Gabriel appeared to her and interestingly enough spoke Hebrew to her. Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Now, I want to start right here just for a second to say, sometimes when God is working in your life, you will be confused and disturbed. I know I have. Like, God, if this was you, it would be more peaceful. Like, God, if it was you, it'd be more easier. No, sometimes, sometimes when God's doing something in our life, you know, sometimes we're like, I'm a little confused and disturbed. I don't quite know what's going on. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Gabriel says, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, for you have found favor with God. <clears throat> you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now, all the while, what we know about Mary is she is engaged to Joseph, right? She's engaged to be married. <clears throat> he will be very great and will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, just like we would ask God, we would ask the angel if he came to visit us, this same question. Um, excuse me, how can this happen? How? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit. And we could just stop the sentence right there. Mary's going, Gabriel, how is this going to happen? Your great plan that you and God have concocted. Like, it sounds like really incredible, but how? Just like we would to God. God, you've said that you can do this. You've shared with us that. How? And he says, the Holy Spirit. God, I'm broken. I don't know if I'm going to find anybody. The Holy Spirit. God, I'm lonely and I'm discouraged and I'm frustrated and I'm having a difficult time. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. 
For the word of God will never fail. And Mary responded, and I love this response. We're going to come back to this. I love what she said. I am the Lord's servant. Now, this is maybe a two or three minute conversation. And Mary has heard enough. And her response to God interrupting her life is, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So I was thinking this week, as I was studying, as I was writing, as I was thinking about this for my own life, and I was thinking about what this meant for your life as you're you know, processing what these scriptures mean for you and what God is trying to communicate to you at this season of your life. And I'm thinking about that for myself. I thought about some of the things that just in these three minutes of this conversation that Mary had with Gabriel, that Mary had to be at peace with. There are some decisions that she made in three minutes that affected the rest of her life. Three minutes could be the same for you as well. There are several decisions that Mary made in three minutes that affected the rest of her life. The first one is this. Mary traded her fairy tale for an uncertain future. Like, isn't there things about our life that we anticipate? Like, Lord, I want, you know, when I get married, I want to find that special him or her. And this is what I want our wedding to look like. And these are what I, this is what I want our children to look like. And this is what ultimately I want my job to look like to validate me and make me feel somewhat successful and helpful and a contributor to society. And, you know, we have all these dreams in our, in our heads. And this is what I want to see my children grow up to be. And we have all these ideas. And in that moment, in that moment, Mary made peace with the fact that she was trading in all of her chips at the table and saying, I'm going to give up my fairy tale for this uncertain future because a future with God is better than a future without one. Have you come to a point in your life where you've had to do that? you felt that before? Like you feel God tugging on you sometimes of, Hey, I really, I really want to help you. I I really want to help you do this. I really want to help you process this. I really want to help you move through this, but I want you to give it to me. And because we are nervous and scared and fearful, and we think God will send us to Africa. (laughs) We're like, no, I don't want to go to Africa. (laughs) If that's what serving you means, I'm not going to Africa. No, you're not having my life. And what we need to understand is a future with God is a better future than one without. She traded her fairy tale for an uncertain future. The second thing I think she did was this. Mary was willing. She was just willing to be misunderstood. It hurts to be misunderstood. People think things about you that aren't true. People assume things about you that aren't true. People assume things that, that, that you meant their harm and you never did. People assume you could be crazy or lying. You get treated differently. You face criticism. What I love about Mary is she was willing to step into that tension and be okay with that. Be okay with that. See, following Jesus is going to involve risk. And that risk is going to involve faith. And then we're going to have a choice. Am I going to be faithful or faithless? 
following Jesus is going to involve risk. That risk is going to require faith. And when God leads us to the edge, we're going to have to choose, am I going to be faithful or faithless or unfaithful? What I love about this, this piece right here, Mary is willing to be misunderstood, is that growth, with growth comes a lot of pain. I've had a mentor in my life recently. He shared something so powerful with me that I feel like I'm quoting it to a friend every day because it's meant so much to me. And he said this, he said, there is no growth without change. And there's no change without loss. And there's no loss without grief. And there's no grief without pain. Therefore, growth equals pain. I'm gonna say that again. There's no growth without change. There's no change without loss. There's no loss without grief. And there's no grief without pain. Growth equals pain. Mary was in a season of her life where she recognized, if I wanna grow, I'm gonna have to endure some pain. And your ability, and I, I say this from my heart because I love you and I care about you, your ability to grow in your relationship with God and walk with God will be determined by essentially how much pain you're willing to manage in your life. If you don't want to manage any pain, you're going to, you know, if we think pain is the enemy and it's the problem, then we're going to live a life where we avoid pain. Meanwhile, God says pain can be good. It can grow you in ways that nothing else can. Mary was willing to be misunderstood. Third of all, Mary accepted the wow without knowing the how. She accepted the wow without knowing the how. She accepted this grandiose assignment from Gabriel that she probably, you know, she, she conceptually probably had no idea what this meant. Like in the moment, she's like probably emotional. It's like amazing. Like, can you believe this? I can't believe this. But there's there, like, there was probably a day where it actually set in. You know, we've been told information before at times where, you know, cognitively we understood, but it was different when we actually went, oh, this is what it means, right? Mary accepted the wow without knowing the how. She accepted God doing something new in her life without understanding how it was going to happen. And at some point in our life, I know I've been there and you will be there too, where God is going to invite you to do the wow without sharing with you the how. And he's going to ask you to trust him every step of the way as you are trying to figure out the next step that God wants you to do in the process of fulfilling the wow that he's called you into in your life. So <clears throat> Mary accepted the wow without knowing the how. You, you remember the very beginning, uh, I talked to you about, you know, what are the kind of people that God uses? This phrase this week, has been the one that's really stood out to me. And I had a friend, a very good friend, actually in the lobby last week, standing right out on that lobby. He said, Eric, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. I just know I want to make a difference. And I think we feel the same way too. Here's a big idea. People that make a difference for God, people that make a difference in their community, people that make a difference in their marriage, people that make a difference at their school, people that make a difference at their university, people that make a difference at their workplace, people that make a difference in the world, they're just different. They think differently. They plan differently. 
They have different goals and objectives. They respond differently to conflict. They uh, select friends differently. They plan differently, strategize differently. They do different things. But I don't think it's the kind of different that you may be thinking. And here's what really convicted me. If you want to be different in your life, God made it accessible and possible for all of us for all of us to be able to do this because the people that make a difference are different and they're different in three ways. So I want, if you've got your journal, I want you to take your journal out. If you've got your phone, I want you to take your phone out uh, and write these things down because I want you to remember them this week as you go about your week Um, because I think these are transformational and they've been transformational to me. And you may have somebody when you're across sitting at lunch one day talk, God, you know, how do I make a difference? How do I figure this out? This could be helpful for you to share in that moment. People that make a difference are different. They're different in three ways. First of all, they are faithful. Well, what does that mean? We all have different definitions of what faithful means. People that make a difference are faithful with the responsibility that God has given to them. Let me say that again. People that make a difference are faithful to the responsibility that God has given to them. What's the responsibility that God has put right in front of you? Your family, your friends, where you work, uh, relationships, uh, your education, uh, your job, all the things, all those things right there, God says, I want you to be faithful with what I've put right in front of you. Just be responsible to what I've put right in front of you. It's like, uh, one of the things that my wife and I do every morning is we have coffee together, kind of start the day. Because once we start the day, it's like, whew, and, you know, see you tonight, you know, that kind of thing. So we try to get together and have coffee. And so as, as I'm kind of the one that makes it because I like it strong. So I, as I make it, I'm carrying it across the kitchen into our den, and I'm carrying it very carefully. I'm not, like, reckless. I'm not going to start doing jumping jacks with coffee in my hand, right? I'm going to be very careful and responsible as I'm carrying it, right? Are you careful and responsible with the responsibility and the influence and the message that God has given to you? Or are you just reckless? We've certainly, I've certainly been reckless in my life at, at, at different times. But I think what God is challenging us to do is I want you to be faithful to the responsibility I've put in front of you. And then when, and when, and when you do that, you get more. When you do that, you get more. Jesus said, if you can be faithful with this much, you can have this much. And that's the way it works. Do you remember when you drove your dad's car for the first time as a teenager? Remember what that was like? Your parents have never been closer to Jesus as when you drove out of the driveway. Your mom was praying right there, God, be with my child. Your dad was fretting because he knows what every dad knows, that their car gets dinged up and scratched up when their teenagers drive it, right? And so, so, so I want the image I want you to have in your life is you are driving around in your heavenly father's vehicle. And you've got to take care of it. You've got to take care of it. God has entrusted so much more important things to us than just a vehicle. The message of Jesus, the things that he's done for you in your life, that's part of your message. That's part of your story to share with the world. God says, I want you to protect that investment. Get reckless with it. Be responsible with it. That's what Mary did, responsible with the assignment God gave her. She understood the assignment. Uh, Next, uh, available. God says, I want you to be available. 
The best ability is your availability. As somebody who loves sports, my, my team struggled this year because we had 17 injuries on our team this year. I've gone, they're not even available. Can't even play, can't even contribute to the team. Your, your ability, your availability is your greatest ability that you can bring to your life. It's being present in the moment. It's seeing a need. I was uh, watching the news or uh, was it Instagram a couple weeks ago, and I saw a, uh, a high school in Shreveport, Louisiana, Southwood High School. They had 23 students get arrested because they were fighting too much. 23 students went to jail because they were fighting too much. Kicked out, I think kicked out of school or something. And it was just too much for the police to get involved in. And, and so these 40 dads came together and they formed this club called Dads on Duty. <laughs> and all these dads showed up to school every day and said, you know what, it's our job. We're gonna stand in the hallways. We're gonna encourage these students. Um, we're going to try to help them. We're going to tell a bunch of dad jokes, get them laughing. But we're going to provide a secure space so our kids are not scared to death to come to school. Imagine the message that sent throughout that community because they were available and willing and present to walk into whatever pain was in their community. If you want to start, if you want to know, if you want to know, hey God, where do I get started? I want to be available. I want you to use me. I want to be present. Find where the pain is. Find out where the pain is. Find somebody you know and find out, find out where they're in pain and just be available to help. And finally, <clears throat> faithful, available, and finally teachable. God says, I want you to be faithful with the responsibility that I've given to you just like Mary. I want you to be available. Hey, hey, here I am. God, I'm your servant. But I want you to be teachable. And here's why teachable is important. God is going to put you in some assignments that are way over your head. You're not worthy of them. You're just not. He's going to put you in assignments that are way bigger than you. He's going to intentionally put you in some assignments that are going to intimidate you. That's how God works. I've seen it in my life. I always, always know the direction God's leading me in life by what I'm most scared of because that's been true every single time. And so God's going he, he's gonna, to he's gonna invite you into these situations to be used of him. And every single one of them, you're going to be scared to death. And that's okay. That's normal. It'd be weird if you walked in and thought you were a narcissistic person who God, you were doing God a favor in that moment. That would be a tragic story because pride goes before a fall. But God wants you to have an open heart and walk into those situations and be humble because humble people change history. When you are prideful, you're gonna fall flat on your face. But when you're teachable, when you're humble, humble people change history. Who was the president that God could put at the top of our country when we had the, the worst, worst thing that could have ever happened when the union was divided who is the president that God put at the top to bring the union back together so that it wouldn't fall apart? Abraham Lincoln, known as one of the most humble men in all of history. Humble people change history. Prideful people don't. Y'all, here's the challenge that we deal with. 
There is no other arena in our culture that's going to encourage us to be humble. Every other arena is going to tell us to be narcissistic. Get yours. Who cares about anybody else? No other realm, no other domain of life is going to encourage us to be humble except Jesus. But by doing it, going back to who are the people that God uses, they're faithful, they're available, and they're teachable. Because God uses simple people to do spectacular things. So if you're kind of part of the audience like me, where you're like going sometimes, God, how could you use me? Like, do you really, like, you know my history? Like, I, I'm not, you know, I don't feel like I'm the, you know, we go to God with our list of, you know, but God, you know, do you really trust? You're in good company. Because God says simple people do spectacular, spectacular things. And our prayer for you is much like what Mary said at the end of her prayer. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And as I've been preparing for this message, my prayer for you is that that prayer would resonate with you all this week and that God would just put it deep down in your heart this week that you would respond to God the way that Mary responded. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for my friends that are here in this room and those watching online. And God, we can be really, really confused as to the kind of people that you like to use. We have all these weird standards in our mind that are unrealistic that we've picked up somewhere along in life that was just weird and strange. And we made a, <clears throat> an agreement at some point in our life that that was really spiritual and that we really aren't. But God, with the help of Jesus in our life, by trusting him and putting our faith in him and recognizing that if we'll just be faithful to the responsibility that you've put right in front of us, if we'll be available to be used by you and we'll be teachable to be humble so that you can teach us and put us in situations where the presence of Jesus can create great change in our community. God, you can use us because simple people can do spectacular, spectacular things. I pray this Christmas for my friends that that Mary's prayer would be their prayer, our prayer. God, we are your servant. And may it be just as you have said. May everything you have said about us come true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.